Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. What's today's date? June 25th. Did you know that today is the day, June 25th, it is known as the Feast of Pontius Pilate. Feast of Pontius Pilate. What's very fascinating to know is that the Ethiopian Ethiopian Orthodox Church has a feast for Pontius Pilate and his wife. If you know the biblical story, you know that Jesus came before him, Pontius Pilate, and his wife had had a vision. And in the vision, she was told, or in a dream, she was told that her husband shouldn't mess with this guy, Jesus. So she went to him and said, Pontius, leave this one alone. And you and I both know that he kind of crumbled, but he also washed his hands. Let someone else deal with this. But it gets a little bit more fascinating because the Eastern Ethiopian Coptic Church, also known as the Ibisean Church, one of the oldest churches in the world, they believe that Pontius Pilate and his wife came and shared Jesus with their people. That Pontius Pilate actually accepted Christ after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He considered the facts, accepted Jesus, left his post with the Roman Empire, and became a missionary for the gospel. It's actually backed up by an ancient Roman historian by the name of Eusebius. At the time when Pilate was ruling over Israel, the Roman emperor was Tiberius. And Eusebius reports in his historical records the following. And when the wonderful resurrection and ascension of our Savior was already reported abroad in accordance with an ancient custom which prevailed among the rulers of the provinces, a reporting to the emperor the novel occurrences which took place in each province in order that nothing might escape the emperor. Pontius Pilate informed Tiberius of the reports which were reported abroad through all Palestine concerning the resurrection of our Savior Jesus from the dead. So Pilate went and gave an account of other wonders which he had learned about Jesus. About how Jesus, after his death, had risen from the dead and how many believed that Jesus was God. Pontius Pilate went to Tiberius and told him this. And if ancient church oral tradition is true, he came to believe it, and he surrendered his life to Jesus, became a missionary. Why do I share that? I share it because before we say the Lord's Prayer together, I want you to know that the kingdom of Jesus is for everyone, even Pontius, who is part of his killing. 
Imagine the love, the grace, and the mercy of God where in Christ, God would reach out to one of the men who killed his son. Let's stand together and pray the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Turn, give someone a high five, hug, handshake, fist bump, greet one another. So if you've been with us here at City, you know that our focus last year was on the kingdom of God, what is it? And this year, the kingdom of God, how do you live in it? And last Sunday, we began the first of four warnings that Jesus brings at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus shows up on the public scene and he begins to announce that the kingdom of God is now here. And in doing so, what Jesus does is he goes up on a mountain and he casts a new vision for a new people for God's kingdom. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so all year, we've been methodically going through the Sermon on the Mount and we are now at the tail end of it. And the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount brings four warnings. As we think about these four warnings, I want us to remember where we're at when it comes to the idea of the kingdom of God and serving Jesus. At the time of Jesus, human power was at one of its heights. Caesar Augustus had brought Pax Romana, Roman peace, but it brought death and destruction to many, Rome's peace. Not only that, we had other people in and around the time of Jesus who became exceptionally famous like Herod the Great because of his massive wealth and he was living what you and I would call the American dream. He had it all. And under his nose, a baby is born in a manger and God announces, that's my king. Caesar Augustus and Herod, that's the world's king. Here's mine. And all four Gospels, specifically Matthew and Mark and Luke, are what it looks like when these two kings have their power. What does it look like? What does it look like when their kingdoms are taking over? Well, last week, as Jesus was winding down his sermon, he gave us the first warning. We looked at it last week, and it was interesting, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to, and only a few find it. Those are chilling words. But I believe Jesus is a master teacher. And Jesus is there on the hillside where the Sermon on the Mount is believed to have been delivered. I've stood there many times in Israel. 
And while Jesus was there and he was teaching this massive, eclectic crowd of people from many faiths and many religions, and he was casting a vision for a new people and a new kingdom of which he's the king. Jesus on that hillside, as he comes to his first warning, he says, be careful which road you're on. The reason why is, and I believe he pointed right down by the Sea of Galilee, there's a wide road. Wide Roman road. Be careful with that road. Because almost everyone's going to walk on it. And to get on that road, you don't even have to think. Do whatever culture does. Value whatever culture values. Listen to Herod the Great. Listen to Caesar. Just do what everyone else does. And that's the wide road. And it shows up at a wide road gate. The problem is the wide gate leads to destruction. Wow, that's a warning. And I also believe Jesus there on the side of that hill that beautifully overlooks the Sea of Galilee as he's wrapping up this Sermon on the Mount, he then points to a path that very jaggedly, not always safe, winds its way up from the Sea of Galilee to the hillside where he is. I believe everyone had just walked it. And Jesus says, to follow me, you must be on the narrow path. Only a few are gonna find it because it takes intention, it takes purpose, it takes self-reflection, it takes thinking about the kingdom, it takes a whole lot of things. But the narrow path is not one you will naturally walk on. That was Jesus' first announcement of concern, a warning. Now we're going to deal with the second warning. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, immediately after talking about the narrow road and the wide road, one destruction, one to life. He now brings the second warning. Here's what he says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. In other words, they're part of the flock. Sheep, by the way, more often than not in the scriptures, speak of God's people, truly God's people. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's exactly what John the Baptist had said. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Interesting. First warning is about which path are you on? The wide, easy one or the narrow one that's at times dangerous and treacherous and it takes thought and it takes prayer and it takes process and purpose. The other one, just do life. Don't think, don't pray, just do life. And in the second warning, Jesus says that there are people that will join you on the narrow path who are false prophets. 
Now, for those of you who like a little bit of the intricacies of biblical reality, a false prophet is called a pseudo-prophetes. Say it out loud. Pseudo-prophetes. Pseudo, meaning false, fake. Pseudoscience. You ever heard that word before? Fake science. This is a pseudo-prophet. And what Jesus says is, you must be careful because even on the narrow path, there are those that are going to come to you who will speak for God, but they're really not. They're false. They're fake. They're going to get on the narrow path. And they're going to say things that are not true and not best and don't lead to life. What's interesting to note is Jesus when he's teaching this, begins by talking about sheep and wolves. And then he switches, and he begins to talk about fruit trees. How weird is that? I think there's two reasons for it. The first one is, and let's look at what Jesus said about good and bad. Matthew 7, 17, we just read it. Here's what Jesus said. After speaking about sheep and wolves... He says, likewise, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? Good fruit. So every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears what kind of a fruit? He's a genius. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Wow, it's deep. Now, here's why I think Jesus did it. There's two reasons. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus was a master teacher. One of them is this. When he began the metaphor with sheep and wolves, all of the Jewish people know that's speaking to them. Now, there were a lot of pagans in the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount. But with that notwithstanding, Jesus said, you know, the sheep, those who are on the narrow path, these wolves are going to try to come in. And as a master teacher, Jesus saw a flock of sheep when he made that analogy and he pointed at it. But when he looked for a wolf, he couldn't see one. I believe this is absolutely true. But Jesus, as a master teacher, knows that people have just meandered through orchards to come up to the hillside where he is. And if you go to the Sea of Galilee today, the shoreline is strewn with orchards. And so Jesus switches metaphors. And he leaves wolf, and he points to the orchards. And he says, you know, people, how good tree bear good fruit, and bad free food bear bad fruit. And they all went, whoa, it's amazing. But here's what's interesting to note. When Jesus says every good tree bears good fruit, he uses two different Greek words for good. The first word for good is the common one. Just means good. The difference between good and bad. Every good tree bears what kind of fruit? Good fruit. That's the Greek word, and it's a very technical, specific word. It's the Greek word kalos, which means beautiful, as an outward sign of the inward good, good that inspires and motivates others to embrace what is lovely and beautiful and praiseworthy. Interesting. So the good tree 
is going to bear fruit that causes other people to hunger for and long for and be inspired towards God's best. Good tree. Then Jesus says, but a bad tree, that's the generic Greek word for bad, kind of the opposite of good. Tree bears what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. That's the Greek word paneros. That word is a technical word for bad, which means pain-ridden, emphasizing the inevitable agonies and misery that always goes with evil. Wow. You see, Jesus has just looked over the hillside and there's a broad Roman road by the Sea of Galilee. Be careful which road you're on. And then he brings another warning and he says, when you're on the narrow path, the one where you pray and you focus and you follow and you have a vision and a purpose in the kingdom, Jesus says, be very, very careful because there are these wolves that will come in that are dressed just like sheep. And then he switches the metaphor. He says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to watch them and see their fruit. And you're going to know who they are. Now, to help illustrate this morning, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own life. About 12 years ago, I was diagnosed with an extremely serious medical condition of which I had surgery and I believe through prayer, the Lord has healed me. But when I got sick, what happened was, friends of mine, my wife, and even a physician said, Pete, tell me a little bit about your diet. So I told them what I was eating and what I was drinking, and they said, you gotta eat healthy. And so one of the things that I did, by their recommendation, was I, kept, kept, I stopped drinking a certain type of drink, and only drank water, was it. And the reality of it is, is if you came to my house, and my wife and children will attest to this, every morning when I get up, I go into the kitchen and I fill this jug. Fran bought me this jug because she didn't like the one I had bought. <laughs> and it's out on our counter, and it has to look a certain way, which I understand. And so every morning I get up, and I fill this jug full of water, and I'll go over to the table, and I'll pick up a lemon, and I cut it open. Every single morning, I do this. And then what I do is I put it in this lemon squeezer. And by the way, I bought this lemon squeezer because I went on Amazon, and I found the two most highly rated lemon squeezers, <laughs> right? And I bought them both and tested them and returned the one I didn't want. Actually, that's not true. I'm gonna give it to my son. Don't tell him that. <laughs> so I kept the better of the two, and every morning I get up and I put in half a lemon, and I squeeze it just like this, then I go like that. By the way, the jug would be full of water. And then what I do is I take the lemon out, put in the other half. Every single morning I do this. Squeeze it. This one's good because you can use your weight. The other one I had to squeeze and, and then you just pour it in there. Every single morning I do this. Jug is full. And I know this sounds different, but before I leave my house, I drink this entire jug. I just do. I'm not recommending it. It's just descriptive of me, not prescriptive for you. 
But here's an interesting thing. The reason why I started putting lemons in my water was when we would go out to eat, I would always order water. And the reason uh, I got lemon, because the water tasted so bad. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you go to a restaurant, you drink the water, you're like, where did they get this? Well, what I found was if you order three lemon wedges and squeeze them into the water, you don't taste it. You taste what? You taste lemon. So that's what started me on this. But lo and behold, some of these people around me that I know as health nuts, they said to me, you know how healthy lemon water is? It's one of the healthiest things you can do. Now, Again, if you come into my house, there's always lemons, bowl lemons. But you'll discover something else if you come to our house. There's this bowl of lemons. This bowl of lemons is fake. <laughs> These are real. They look similar, both lemons technically, but these ones are fake. Now, my wife literally bought these pretty recently, and she put them out in our house. And the reason why? Because it was made in Italy. It's where she was made, <laughs> Italy. And so we have this in her house because a bunch of her Italian relatives have bowls with fruit in them just like this. Here's what's interesting to note. Is that when Jesus talks about good and bad fruit, he doesn't talk about fake fruit, real fruit. He talks about a kind of fruit that if you eat it, it's going to ensure that evil crushes your life. It's bad fruit. It's pain-ridden. It's filled with the inevitable agonies of evil. Bad tree, bad fruit. And then Jesus said, good tree, good fruit. The good fruit, Jesus says, and technically using the Greek word, says that this kind of fruit is an outward sign of the inward good. It inspires and motivates others to embrace what is beautiful and praiseworthy. He doesn't say fake and real. He says bad, good. Perpetuates evil, brings about the kingdom. Two different ones. But what has really fascinated me about Jesus' warning is something I had literally never seen before, and this is where we're going to put feet to our faith. And that is the most repeated phrase in the warning of Jesus is this. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus brings a warning, and before he does, he begins by saying this. You're going to know who the wolves are. And then he does the fruit, good fruit, bad fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, good tree, good fruit. And then he ends that little strange parable. And when he ends it, he repeats what he said at the beginning, and you're going to know who the bad ones are. So what's the point of the parable? He's absolutely positive. We're going to know who the wolves are. We're going to listen to what they say. We're going to observe their life. And we're going to go, that doesn't look like the Sermon on the Mount. 
Because we live in a world where some Christianity is presented as though the American dream is what God wants for you, not the kingdom. You see, the kingdom is about generosity and giving and serving and loving your neighbor and forgiving those who despitefully use you and praying for, it's that. So Rome is still alive and well. You can have Pax Romana or you can have the peace of the kingdom, but you can't have both. And so what's interesting to note is that Jesus here says as he talks about the fruit, you're going to know where the bad trees are and what the bad fruit is. You're going to know. So then why keep warning us? Here's why. Because at times, even for people on the narrow path with Jesus, we are tempted to switch these to where I would rather have the fake. Because the people on the broad path keep telling me, why walk the narrow one? The world all around me is telling me that the broad path is better, it's easy, and why not just go from the narrow to the broad? Not only that, look how shiny the fake fruit is. This actually isn't quite as attractive. You notice that? But when I'm on the narrow path, there's times where this can look really, really good. So I think Jesus' warning is more about the fruit. He's positive we're going to know the good and the bad prophet. We're going to know when we're hearing a message that doesn't align with him. But each one of them has fruit. And at first glance... The fake fruit looks better. It does. I told you there were two reasons why Jesus moved from the metaphor of wolf and sheep to trees and fruit. I believe it's because he knew everyone in the crowd who was Jewish knew. In Jewish biblical studies, there's a thing called the law of first mention. And Jesus was reaching all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The text tells us, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her. And he ate it and the wheels of all creation came off and chaos entered the world. And another kingdom was now born into the world the kingdom of death and darkness and sin. You see, I think Jesus knows that we, like Eve, will approach a tree that God has told us not to be around and to definitely not eat of. But all of culture is gonna hold out this bowl and say, come take a bite. Come join me. It's easy. It's not hard. And then we will hear a still small voice and it'll be Jesus saying that the narrow path is not the easier one. There might not be a lot of people in your life that are on it, but in the end, the fruit brings life.